Now, am I on now? Oh, yeah, I'm on now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm hot now. Okay. All right. Y'all, this evening we are trying to get running just a little bit behind still, so you can take a minute and be sure you some hot cocoa. And That's Wednesday night, right? A little more laid back. We're we are. We are. Hence the blue jeans. That's, I can't believe somebody hadn't got on to us about wearing jeans yet on Wednesday night. But no, man. It hadn't happened yet. So Blue jeans are the American way. Of course, they would be criticizing themselves because they all wear jeans too. So yeah, that would be right. a little hypocritical. But but praise God we haven't gotten it yet, right? That's we're, right. We're in a good spot. All right, I think we're going to start with the, uh, the 66 chapters. We'll start with that and, and talk about the breakout there and then... Um, All right, uh, I updated your little handout here, so if somebody would be so kind to, Mark is always so eager, go right ahead, brother, you can delegate it to half of it if you want to. <clears throat> I went ahead and typed in the rest of the, of the chapter, the rest of the chapters for Isaiah for you, just in a kind of a little bit easier breakout to understand. This is a huge book of the Bible, would you agree with that? Huge. Amen. Uh, covers a long span of history. Um, we've got a video that we're going to open up with this evening that, that should help you a little bit. Uh, Howard Grobner made the suggestion. I thought it was a good one. We've watched the videos before. It just never really occurred to me to show it to you. The Bible Project, right? The Bible Project. Yeah. It just never occurred for me to show it to you in, in this uh, capacity, but it, it will do it. And If you like it, we'll use it. If not, we won't. Now, I've got to hold the microphone on this thing because the... the the um, audio does not work. But let's be sure we're reflecting first. Uh-oh. I'm not showing the ability to reflect, gentlemen, on the... Uh... See, it's not up there like it normally is. That's kind of scary. Would y'all check the uh, um, the Apple TV and see if it's not powered up or something, because I can't see it like I normally can. Hmm. You think I should t uh, cut the Wi-Fi back off and on again? Oh, you know what it is? I bet you being on PB. I bet you being on PBC staff, it doesn't see it. it. Might be. Should we try guest? You could. Mm-hmm. There it is. I don't know what y'all did, but it just came back up. but it is not seeing, that's gotta be a network issue. No, there it is, boom. Thank you, Lord. There we go. Yay! All right, now. Okay, here we go. Y'all ready? Now what this is is a video that kind of explains uh, chapters 40 through 66 in kind of a very uh, like high altitude view, okay? So let me be sure I've got the sound on here. Where'd my sound go? My goodness. Uh-oh. You know what? The sound won't work if it's mirroring, it looks like. Oh, no, that's, that's terrible. Okay, we can't watch this. For some reason, the sound won't work when I'm mirroring. Why is that? Why would that be, Nathan? Any idea? Sure. 
like the uh, oh on the Apple TV yeah. mirror sound room sound room I don't know Well, I know that we, we can't play sound through this. I know that. So what we were going to do was like, let me just stop it and see what happens. Yeah, see, it started, see, it started, it started working, so I don't know what's going on there. Now, let's stop. Nathan's going to come save the day. Maybe. Which was Isaiah's message of judgment and hope. He accused Israel's leaders of rebellion against God and said that through Assyria and then Babylon, Israel's kingdom would come crashing down after God's We thought this would work relatively simply, so I don't know what. I wonder if we are. Right, let's reconnect. Okay. Uh, it is. It's already. Yeah, it's, yeah, you're good. I was just seeing if it was like Yeah. That's, that's surprising. I can't believe it won't mirror and then do the sound at the same time. Live feed, we're having technical difficulties. We're working on it diligently. Yeah, we don't, I mean, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. We can, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out later. Okay. Very good. Okay. All right. Well, we, we can't get the video to work, so we're just going to dive right in to the uh, regular presentation. So be sure we're there here. Sounds like a bunch of stress to me, Tony. <laughs> All right, we'll just, uh, we'll just get going here. Okay, so are we reflecting up there now? Tech team. Hey. Yes, I can. I sure can. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it out in a flock note for everybody. All right. I am waiting for it to show up there, and then we'll be in business. I don't know if it's my fault. I don't know whose fault this is. Now, let's see here. Let me try again. Yep, it's not connected. Oh, here we go. All right, let me try again. Here we go. Okay, now. Now, okay. Boom. So, the book of Isaiah, yes. Uh, last week, we looked at chapters 1 through 39. I realize this is a huge prophecy uh, from Isaiah, but tonight we're going to look through 40 through 66. If you will look on this piece of paper that I made for you, and this came right straight out of a Bible dictionary that you can get for $25, $30 online anywhere, uh, that, you, that you can find a Christian bookstore online, and I just literally took the divisions and typed them into a piece of paper so, uh, so you could have them. Um, and it's pretty, pretty clear uh, where the divisions are in there, so I hope that'll, hope that'll be helpful to you. Again, Isaiah, what do we call Isaiah? Another name for Isaiah is a Bible within a Bible. Yes, why, and why is that? 
66 chapters, exactly. The first 39 are about what? Judgment. The last 26 are about what? Hope. Hope. So you basically have, thematically, you have an Old Testament, New Testament division in the book of Isaiah, 39 chapters, 26 chapters. Very interesting, uh, really neat. So let's just, that's what all this says here. Isaiah, two main divisions, the first 39, the second of 27, 27 chapters. I'm sorry, not 26. I'm getting 66 in my mind. <laughs> Why didn't you correct me? Please correct that's me okay, when I do man. these things, You're good. Man. You're good. So the, that's what you're here you're right. for. You're on a roll, me. man. You're okay. on a roll. So the, <laughs> so the Bible has two main parts. The prevailing note is judgment. The prevailing note in the Old Testament is what? Law. The prevailing note in the second division of Isaiah is comfort. The prevailing note in the New Testament is what? Grace, exactly. You know, and it's, it's interesting, too, because if you notice, I don't know if you noticed as you were reading, but like all the way through uh, 1 through 39, and then you get to 40, and I don't know if it seemed like it, it changed tempo for you. I know for me, as I was reading in 40 all the way to 66, it was like, this seems, you know, like a, almost like a different book. It's actually really good that you separated it mm -hmm. because it seems like I'm reading a different book. Even when I got done with it, I was like, whoa, it almost seemed like I was reading, I wasn't reading Isaiah, I was reading something new. But, uh, but yeah, comfort, comfort my people. Yeah, and, and there are, it, you know, uh, scholarship has raged through the years. Everybody tries to make it two different authors because the themes are so different. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm convinced just from my own, and I'm, I haven't done nearly as much study as some of these scholars have, but, but your, your, your large evangelical view is, is that it's written by Isaiah, both, both, both parts of it, 39 and then 40 through 66. Now, we looked at the call of Isaiah. We looked at this already. We spent a lot of time on this uh, last Wednesday, and, and I just gave you my personal conviction uh, on this through, through my own personal study. In seeing Isaiah chapter 6, his call uh, also cited in all of the Gospels and the book of Acts. I just, I mean, that, and, and just remember, nobody has an axe to grind or anything like that. This is the Holy Spirit that took those verses, that took Isaiah's call, that used it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. Is that when the Gospel, when the Word of God is preached, some people's eyes are opened, some people's eyes are closed. And that's just the way it is. Uh, I want everybody to be saved, don't y'all? Amen. But unfortunately, there's going to be droves of people uh, who reject the gospel, who reject the word of God. It is a tragedy. I hate it. Uh, but God has told us, God warned Isaiah that nobody would respond to him. That's exactly what happened with, with Isaiah. And uh, unfortunately, we are going to have those that, that, that come here and that, that reject it. So yeah. it's just a fact of life. Broad is the road that, that leads to destruction, Matthew tells yep. us in Matthew 7. And, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And few find it. I mean, right. when I was, I was reading that this morning, in fact, and I was, you know, almost trembling because <laughs> it's like, Lord, few find it. Wow. If this microphone does not leave me alone, Colton, I'm going to take it and stomp it in the ground. Stomp it and send it back to back hell to where, hell it, came where it came from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going to do. It's driving Did me crazy. Did you hear Nathan? He said, don't do that. I know. Please don't. I'm, I'm not, I promise. Okay, I think I got it now. I'm sorry about that. I don't know why there's such a train wreck tonight up here. Um, all right, so let's continue on here. So We're Isaiah... displaying God's grace. Huh? We're displaying God's grace. <laughs> That's what it is. God's grace, yeah. Isaiah saw the birth of Christ. I think we went through all that, didn't we? 
Did we go through that last uh, time? No, no, no. This is where okay. we stopped. All right, all right. Let's go back. Yep. All right. Isaiah saw the birth of Christ. So if you look at Isaiah chapter 7, you go ahead and open your Bible and get there, and we'll, and we'll move pretty, pretty, pretty quick through this. Most of this uh, prophecy should be fairly familiar to you. Uh, Dr. Stringfellow hits kind of the high points on the major, uh, the major scriptures that Isaiah hits. So Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name what? Emmanuel. And that translated in Hebrew means God with us. God with us. Now how ironic is that in the prophecy? It's amazing. Uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, actually cites the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, 14. And this is not, let me just say this, this is not something that's up for debate. <laughs> right? This right. is not up for debate. You don't say, well, Matthew shouldn't have cited it there, or Matthew was wrong, Isaiah 7, 14 wasn't meant to be cited there. It was meant to be cited there on purpose by God. Matt, the apostolic writers have an authority vested in them by the power of the Holy Spirit and having walked with Christ, been called by him, witnessed his resurrection. Those were several of the qualifications that it took to be an apostle. So we take that as gospel truth. That scripture written by Isaiah was fulfilled by Christ in his virgin birth. So, so hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied his virgin yeah, birth. And in fact, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit to write these things. So that's, again, Peter, that's it, the text it, out of Peter, yeah. That's right. It yeah. is the, you know, God is the author of uh, this book, exactly. ultimately. Exactly. Okay, so Isaiah saw the birth of Christ. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Okay, this is another one that, 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 we, that we study all the time, read during Christmas time. Uh, you've heard this read numerous times. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, what scripture does that fulfill? Second Samuel 7. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I wish I had Tootsie Rolls. I'd throw you one, Tony. Uh, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So as you can see in Isaiah, you have this, this, this carrying forward of something that was mentioned all the way back in 2 Samuel. The, the, the promise of a, of a permanent, eternal one that sits on the throne of David forever is here mentioned in Isaiah chapter 9. So all of this stuff is, is all intertwined and it's all guided along just like Colton said by the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. That's, that's why we're here tonight is because we believe all this was prophesied Amen. years before it happened and came to, came to completion perfectly in adherence to Scripture. Uh, Luke chapter 2. We see this uh, talked about again in Luke chapter 2, the Gospel of Luke. Again, in apostolic authority, Luke comes. That's we're going to be going to begin the book of Luke in the 1st of March. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, very interesting. 
Isaiah saw his death on the cross. Now, how many of y'all have studied this text before? Isaiah 53, anybody? Amen. Okay, let's go there. Again, he, jumped, he jumps forward a bunch of chapters, and that's why I gave you this, is that you can go and, and you know, look at this and study, study this sheet to keep up with it. And, 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 and let's just be honest about it. Okay, yes? I didn't understand a word he said. He has the video ready if you want to play it. Oh. Maybe at the end? Okay, sure. Huh? Or now? Or... Uh, yeah, let's do, it. let's do it at the end. We'll, we'll stop. With, it's eight minutes, right? We'll, we'll stop with enough time to do it. Maybe, then maybe we'll see if we're good teachers or not if they, you know. Round of applause for our AV guys back yes, there. Yes, good job, working guys. It out. Thank you. Woo, that was not a hearty clap. That's okay. We'll try again <laughs> next time. <laughs> their patience is wearing thin with us tonight. No, man. not at all, man. All right, I see it in their eyes. To, they love go to us. Isaiah, Isaiah 53, and this is in the actual section that we're studying tonight, 40 through 66. Isaiah 53, just take your time and just get there, Shelby. Isaiah 53. All right, so Isaiah saw Christ's death on the cross and wrote about it in the scripture hundreds of years before it happened. Isaiah saw his second coming and Jesus reigning over his kingdom. Isaiah 11.1, 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Who was Jesse? David's daddy, right? There were several brothers. He was the last one that was out tending sheep when Samuel came to choose the king and uh, said, wait a minute, we got... We got there's another son. He said, no, man, that's David's just out there tending sheep. It can't be him, but it was him. You ever felt like that? <laughs> can't be him, but it's him, right? Isaiah eleven six: the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. This is all eschatological vocabulary, uh, the reversal of the, of the current state of things. I mean, normally a wolf, what does a wolf normally do to a lamb? Gobbles him up, right? But at the end times, it will be, there will be eternal peace. No more antagonism, no more tears, no more pain. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. It's just a total reversal of the order we see now. Isaiah eleven eight: the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. It's very interesting. All right. Isaiah saw his death on the cross. Isaiah saw his second coming. Just giving you those headings again. Isaiah 59, 20, and 21. And a redeemer will come to Zion, <clears throat> to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. Now, when he says Jacob, what does he mean? Yeah, whenever you see, just, just if you're not, I mean, if, if you're not like, if you, if you haven't studied the Bible thoroughly, you might not understand what that means. Jacob is just another way of saying Israel or the nation of Israel. So, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me... This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Wow. Okay. Romans eleven twenty six and 27, showing the Paul's usage of the very truth we're talking about here in Isaiah. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away 
their sins. Dr. Stringfellow has just shown you the continuity all the way through the Bible of this very truth in Romans 11, because Romans 9, 10, 11 is about the end times and about, and about Israel's, uh, the recentering of the plan of salvation on Israel after the, after the rapture, what we believe is Baptist anyway. All right, um, of the many messianic passages in Isaiah, we only have time for a quick glance at the preeminent one, the 53rd chapter. And I really like the way he did this. Those of you that studied the book, uh, he really went in depth in this for you and helped you and helped you see this. Because Isaiah 53, of all the scripture in the Bible, Isaiah 53 is probably the most detailed prophetic account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ hundreds of years before it happened. I mean, it's, it's amazing the detail that you get in this. So let's walk through this very slowly. So this, the chapter written about 700 B.C. proves the miracle of the inspiration of the Word of God. Do you believe that? Now, obviously, we just don't need this one particular passage. I mean, I don't need this particular passage, but it's certainly for a skeptic who would have a hard time or not wouldn't just readily accept that the word of God is inerrant and true. Yeah. I mean, this is a very specific, very detailed passage that, that shows Christ in the scripture. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This is, um, I believe this is the third, no, this is the fourth, fourth in fact, of four servant songs um, that are in Isaiah. This is the last one, the fourth one. Um, but there are... Let me see, I've got the note here on it, because I want to give those to you guys, the servant songs. There are four servant songs in Isaiah uh, at the end chapters here, 40 through 66. Uh, 40, and you can write these down if you like. Uh, 42, 1 through 9. That's the first servant song. And what you're going to see when you read those, and in fact, as I was reading, I really, I had to pause, and it kind of caught me off guard, because I was like, that sounds a lot like Jesus. And I started searching in the New Testament and, and looking at some, uh, you know, some comments, some commentary on the text. And they actually said that, yeah, this is the servant songs referring to the Messianic promise in Christ. Mm -hmm. So 42, 1 through 9. The second song is 49, 1 through 13. The third song, servant song, is 50, 4 through 9. And then the last servant song is the longest, the fourth one. It's, it actually starts in chapter 52, 52, 13 through 53, 12. And so, and, and, and so you, I really loved discovering this because it really kind of um, truncates everything that you're seeing in 53 in this wider spectrum of these prophecies about Christ yeah. uh, in Isaiah. Yeah. It's really neat to see. Yeah, and the, and the video, I like the way the video helps at the end, the video kind of explains it uh, as clear as I've ever heard it explained that even after the return of Israel from exile, and, and, ju and just holistically speaking, why, why did God send them to exile? What was the purpose of Israel being sent to exile? To purify them from one thing, idolatry, exactly. And history shows that they never had issues with idolatry again. They had issues with a lot of other things, but idolatry, that worked. I mean, idolatry was gone. But when they came back, did they succeed at doing what they were supposed to do? No, they did not, because they were destroyed again, as we know, in 70 AD by Rome. So the servant song, the servant song, just like Colton just said, is the reflection of the coming king who would be the one who would ultimately fulfill the Davidic covenant in this suffering servant motif, which is what the Jews did what? Rejected. Rejected. Rejected a crucified Messiah for the Jewish people? 
Are you out of your mind? How is our Messiah going to arrive? On a war horse, yeah. And he's going to overthrow the pagan nations, and he's going to reestablish uh, the, the Jewish nation as a world superpower and, and all this kind of stuff. But that is, that is not the way it happened. Now, it will when he comes back. That's the way it'll be. But they totally missed. They totally missed the, the, the coming and humiliation and yeah. crucifixion. And I, I love and you see You see this pop out in so many ways in these servant songs. But, but even just for one example, in chapter 42, uh, as you're reading and you get to verse 6, Right there at the very end of verse 6, he says, I will give you a, uh, as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. Mm. This harkens back to Genesis 12, 3, mm-hmm. uh, where God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he says, I'm going to uh, make you a blessing to all the nations. Uh, and your people, your, your heirs will be a blessing and a light to all the nations. And then he, here we see the servant of the Lord, this one that will come, this messianic servant, is also going to be a light to the nations. He's going to fulfill that promise. That's Christ. Yeah, and, right? when, the, and when the term nations is used, remember, uh, that was when the, the Jews believed there was two, two people groups on earth, right? Who were the two people groups on earth? Jews and everybody else. So the, they considered themselves the chosen people, and then everybody else was considered ethne or, or the nations. So whenever you see that term nations, it means everybody else on earth mm-hmm. is, what, is what they Gentiles. mean by that. Right? Yeah. Right? Okay. Yep. I'm kind of feeling like I had a Carol? root canal, you know. Oh, yeah, the fourth one was uh, 50, chapter 52.13 through 53.12. The question was... What was the third uh, set of verses for the servant song? And that's 52.13 through 53.12. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's continue. So the, the chapter suits only one figure in human history, and that's the man of Calvary, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ. Okay? Twelve points confirm Isaiah 53 describes Christ. All right, here we go. We'll look these up. So let's go to chapter 53. Let me get there again because I've been jumping around everywhere with these servant songs. I loved it. It's like Bible drill on a Wednesday night. Who else went to Bible drill in here? Anybody? Who votes to bring back Bible drill? Raise your hand. Hey, all right. That's what I want to hear. Okay. And all of you that just went, hey, you're going to lead it. Okay, how about that? Find Amos. Find Amos. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Then all of a sudden, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, all right, he came in lowliness, a root out of dry ground, 53.2. It says, for he, grew up, he, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground, okay? Romans 15.12 and Isaiah 11.1, I think I put those in there for you. These are where they are cited, okay? Romans 15.12 cites Isaiah, this 53 Two, And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even who arises to the rule of the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. So not only did the Jew, not only is this a Jewish Messiah, but whose Messiah is this? Everybody's, the world's Messiah. Uh, that was one of the reasons why you knew that, um, that we had to be talking about something really big in the call of Abraham, and I will make you make of you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, that can't be localized to just Jerusalem. That's got to be larger yeah, than that. Absolutely. So, yeah, so it's got to be, you know, Jesus was the, the, was the world, the Messiah for the world. 
So there, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. Okay, so out of, a root out of dry ground. There's one of the 12. All right, the next one. He was despised and rejected of men, 53.3. If you look at Isaiah chapter 53.3, it says just that. He was despised and rejected of men or by men. Matthew 27, 30 and 31, it's just a proof text to back that up. And they spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Who did that to Jesus? The Roman soldiers, yeah. The Roman soldiers did that, mocking him and making fun of him. And uh, just while we're on the topic, I got a feeling that, that we as the Church of Jesus Christ are in for some very rough days in the very near future. The very near future. Which, hey, you know, God told Sharing us it was going to happen. Pastor's affliction, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. God, God told us it was going to happen. And he, he suffered. He, and we'll he said, suffer. blessed are you. Let's read that passage, man, while we're there. Go to Matthew 5 right quick. Just to give you a little encouragement. Don't ever let, don't ever let fear override your heart on that. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Matthew 5, 11. Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when that persecution comes and you begin to feel lonely, and even if you're having to stand alone, are you alone? No. no, you're not alone. I mean, you just sit there and take it, and you just, in your mind and in your heart, you need to just kind of go away to that place where Jesus is and just know that he is there with you, Isaiah is there with you, Paul is there with you, Peter is there with you, all the, I mean, they're all with you. They, they, all, went the, they all went the exact same way that Christ did, so don't, don't ever fear that. I'll always know. And consider it a joy when they Absolutely. suffered like he joy. did. Yep. Yeah. Count it a joy. Yeah. So he suffered for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. I mean, that one right there is, is, is amazing. 53.5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been what? Healed. Yeah. Mm. You feel like that tonight? You feel like you're healed? Sometimes I don't, but most of the time I do. Sometimes the world gets to me a little bit, but most of the time I do feel like I'm healed. I really do. I know that he's with me. The worldly sufferings are pretty short when you, when you consider everything else. Yeah, I think sometimes part. we get so busy. In yeah. fact, we just, we just forget yeah. that we've been healed. We forget to tap into that power of forgiveness. It's like, hey, I am a redeemed child of God. I'm not, you know, I'm not under his condemnation. Mm -hmm. for there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. I've always loved the way that the, the Bible uses, and Christ used the, uh, the pain of childbirth. You know that your sorrow will turn to joy. You know, yeah. I mean, when you're when you're in that moment of, of course, I've never had a baby, but 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 you know, <laughs> guys, if any of y'all have, have a baby, but I mean, I, I saw Angie go through you know yeah. labor four times, and and I mean, it's just, it really is true. I mean, right when you're in that moment, 
uh, with Mary, she didn't get an epidural because we were too late to Woo. get to the hospital. Yeah. Wow. You think she would care if I talked about this? David saying yes. Some of the going, nah, nah, <laughs> let's go ahead. You know, string him up. Uh, and it was, it, it, I mean, it was very painful. But as soon as it was over and she was in the world, you know, they wrapped yeah. her up and handed yeah. it. It was just like Mary all, was there. All, all that was, was like, all that was a distant oh. memory, man. It was, yeah. it was a distant yeah. memory because there she is, you know, looking up at you. Okay, it's time to feed me. <laughs> yeah, when Abby was born, I was so tired. My eyes were so dry that I started to cry and I couldn't open my eyes because they were stinging so bad. And I was like, I can't see her. I want to see her. So that was me. You know the story about Chloe, right? No. Yeah. Who's, who's heard the story about what happened to me the night that Chloe was born? I had a gallbladder attack. Oh, you did tell me this. The night Chloe was born. <laughs> Angie was in labor and delivery, and I was in the ER getting a shot of uh, morphine. And what's that stuff they give you, uh, Tiffany, when, you're, uh, when your stomach's all upset? Um, Finnegan, yes. And now that stuff's great, except it puts you to <laughs> sleep. I mean, it will put you to sleep. Yeah. So they, then, they had, then they wouldn't let me drive, obviously. So they walked me to, to the room where she was, and here she is with the doctor, you know, giving birth to Chloe. And I'm laying over there on the couch going, push, baby, push, baby, push, you know. At least you didn't have it a kidney stone. <laughs> I mean, it was just, I couldn't believe it. And I just had a gallbladder attack like, like, like two or three days before that. Yeah. I'd been in the ER. They told yeah. me there was nothing wrong with me. It's gas. You're good. You're good. It's all good. Yes, of gallbladder. I mean, they, then I, had, I was in surgery a month later. It's crazy. crazy. How did we get off on that? I'm sorry. Babies. So he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So he was the substitutionary atoning sacrifice. He died in place of us so that we may live, right? Know what he did? Yeah. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wow. Yeah. Great stuff. God placed on him the vicarious substitute to suffer for another, suffering for us. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. Matthew eight seventeen. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. What's the what's the most difficult thing that 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 you deal with in knowing it? Well, let me just say it this way. One of the most difficult things for me is that I know He's taken all that away but we're still in the world and we're not dead mm -hmm. in heaven yet or you yeah. know, we haven't been released yet. Yeah. And, and so you still have to, you're in that already not yet. Yeah. So we still suffer in the flesh, but we know that there is something greater that's coming. Yeah. And so it's yeah. like living in that tension. You know? Yeah, and I think, I think right now, you know, in, in the in-between, you know, we are, we're constantly... I mean, uh, the Bible gives you a plethora of metaphors to talk about it. Uh, we talked about, with, in the men's ministry, we talked about being rooted in Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, being, abiding in the vine was, is one way to talk about it. But this unity of, with Christ, which we have not yet fully discovered or fully um, recognized in our lives. And we know that because we still sin. Mm -hmm. If we were fully united with Christ uh, now, then we, would, we wouldn't sin any longer, you know, yeah. but we, we're still waiting for that day that we'll be completely, fully 
um, united with him, and, and really that'll only happen when we see him face to face. But uh, and, and we call that sanctification, you know, um, that that process of. And, and I've always heard it said like a roller coaster. You're you're going up and up and up, and then you go down a little bit, and then you're going up and up and up. And hopefully your graph is always going up, right? <laughs> so if it starts like trend majorly declining, up. then yeah. there's an issue there. But but yeah, so. Yeah, it's just, you know, he took our illnesses and bore our disease. I mean, we know, we know sin is what he's talking about. He has done that. But yet we still struggle with that because we're still in the flesh, in the earth. Yeah. And we haven't, we haven't been glorified. We haven't passed from this life and been yeah. glorified for the next. Uh, so he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. This is probably the one we struggle with the most as Baptists. Would you agree with that? Do we keep our mouth shut when we're afflicted? No. No, 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 no. Yeah, we, I, da, 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 I find this one one of the most profound because... And know, I'm as guilty as anybody on that one. If, if, I, if I suffer, if you suffer and you know you're suffering for something you did wrong, then you, your mouth is shut. You don't say anything. And if you do, you're, you're just really bold and really arrogant, <laughs> right? If you know you did something wrong and you're still yapping, right? If you're but lying she, to cover up the lie. That's right, yeah. right? But Jesus knows he is the perfect innocent one, God the Son. And yet he is, you know, he's sitting here with his mouth silent as Pilate is questioning him and, and saying, don't you know who I am and what I can do to you and do for you? And, and he's just silent. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And the one time he did speak, he said, you have no power over me unless That's it was it. given to you from above. Because I know if I'm innocent and people are accusing me of wrong, I'm going to get loud. Oh, yeah. Generally. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. help me there, please. <laughs> right. Help us all, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Acts 8, 32 and 33. Now the passage of Scripture uh, that he was reading was like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now I believe that's the uh, conversion of the uh, eunuch. Is that correct? Let's go there right quick. Go to Acts 8. Acts 8. Pretty sure that's who that is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Acts 8, the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. He was reading the book of Isaiah. Now, see, this is, this is, one, of those, this is one of those things where this is a great testimony to what we've been talking about. We're talking about being driven by the word and and the word of God bringing conviction and the word of God being powerful and how if the word of God drives you away from, from hearing it, something's wrong. Here we have an Ethiopian eunuch who had been reading the prophecy of Isaiah. Okay, now we've been reading the book of Isaiah for two weeks. How many of you would raise your hand and say, this is a difficult book? We all would. Yeah, But yet here, here is a eunuch an Ethiopian eunuch, not a Jew, outside the covenant of God, that has been reading the book of Isaiah and is being convicted by the book of Isaiah, comes across Philip the evangelist. Philip explains, expounds, exposits what the meaning of the text is to the eunuch, and what happens? Same. He gets saved. He wants to be baptized. Let me hey, show you. there's some water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some water right there. Yeah. Let's go get baptized. Let me show you one other thing that was uh, this fascinating. To we me. make it so difficult these days. I, I know. We'll put I you know. on the schedule. You know, we'll get to it eventually. You know, <laughs> hey, there's some freezing cold water out there. We can get it done right now. <laughs> go, go to Isaiah 53. I hope this is right. I want to show you something. I'll, I always shoot from the hip, man. I'm always afraid I'm going to mess up and. 
he was talking, I thought he was talking about the eunuch. A uh, eunuch, it was in 53, but it wasn't right there. I may be messing up, I don't know. I know I read it and I, saw, I underlined it because it was great. I said, I'm going to talk about that tonight. This is like my Matthew 11 moment. It's your Matthew 11 yeah, moment last, last week. week. Yeah. Uh, See, this is, this is humility oh, wait, 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 it's 50, from the pastor. Hold on, hold on. Okay, found Boom. it. Yes, <laughs> boom. Isaiah 56. I'm sorry, go to yes. Isaiah 56. Now, I just, I just have to wonder. Now, this, I'm, I'm going to take you down just a weird, this, I'm going to take you into the mind of Shelby. Do y'all mind going there for just a minute? Absolutely, man. Woohoo! Got a couple, I'm, I'm answering a for A bunch them. of people looked down, a couple of people looked, <laughs> gave me the thumbs up. We get enough of that on Sunday, Shelby. No. If you go to Isaiah 56, look at verse 3 and read through that. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. But let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who, who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters and will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So if you're a eunuch, what's the one thing you can't do anymore? Have kids, right? So, so a eunuch, for a eunuch to have a place that everlasting or leave a mark on the world or a mark on eternity, I mean, that's, that's a really amazing thing. And so I bet you through reading Isaiah, he came across that passage. And I bet you, he said, who, who is this? Who is this that can give me this? And I bet yeah. you that led him back yep. to reading about the servant about songs the servant. And, and, con and convicted yeah. him to give his life. Who is do, this servant? Who is, the, who is yeah. this that's, that, that's going to give this to me? That's just something I, I was, I can't remember. I think I was maybe preaching through Acts several years ago and came across that. And I'm like, this is about Jesus, like a lamb that was led to slaughter. But surely, and, and you read about eunuchs in Isaiah, and I'm like, I bet you that struck a chord with him, and he went yeah. back and dug deeper, you know, into Absolutely. the word. So anyway, just a thought for you. No, no applause, please. No, no that applause, was a great please. thought, man. No applause, I loved please. it. I loved okay. it. All right. <clears throat> uh, he died as a felon. <laughs> Boy, does that speak to us and scream to us. Jesus Christ. I mean, don't forget that, right? <clears throat> when Jesus was living in the, first, in the first century, what was he considered? He was considered a criminal. He, he was crucified on the cross by Rome for sedition, for being a criminal. And the Jews offered him up because they considered him a what? A false prophet. So when he died, he died as a felon. They even screamed for Barabbas to be let go. Yes, that's a great, man, that's instead a great of, point. Of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Free Barabbas. Yeah. Free an insurrectionist. As, as Pilate's pleading with him. I don't yeah. know what this guy's done. He hasn't done anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, Pontius Pilate probably never dreamed in a million years that they would choose Barabbas over Jesus. Yes, absolutely. I guarantee you they, 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 they didn't they, he didn't understand. Yep, exactly. That no matter how hard he tried to thwart God's plan, God's plan still happened. Absolutely. Isn't that right? Yep. Whoa. Boom. Oh, there we go. Yep. Hey. So he died as a felon. He was taken from prison in judgment, as Isaiah 53, 8. So Acts 4, 27 and 28. 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. We just talked about that. That just came yeah. out of our mouths. So he died as a felon, taken from prison and judgment. Wow. So if you're wrongly accused and persecuted, you're in pretty good company. Can you amen that? If it's I mean, if it's real, I mean, if you really are living for Christ and you really are trying to be his servant and you're wrongly accused or you're persecuted by the state or by somebody else, you're in great company because it happened to Christ. Yeah. Great company. It happened to his servants. Exactly. Yep. All right. He was guiltless. He had done no violence. Now, unfortunately, we do not fit that at all. <laughs> right? We, we are completely guilty uh, Christ was not guilty. He was completely innocent. Chapter 53, verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich, rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. Yeah. No violence. None. So, 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. My servant shall justify many 53.11, he um, cites Romans 5.15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. What is the trespass? Adam. Go back to Genesis. Adam. Yeah, let's go to Romans 5 and 6 right quick since y'all paused on that. Let's go there and let me show you something. This was, this was man, this was, this is why, Romans 5 and 6 is why you have to believe, you have to believe Adam and Eve were real people. Okay? Yep. You have to. There, there's, there's no negotiation there. None. Adam and Eve were real, or what Paul wrote here is a lie. Okay? You look at Romans 5 and 6, and, and I'll just sum it up for you right quick. What, what Paul gives you here is two corporate heads of humanity. Y'all know what that means? What's corporate headship? Father and mother, but specifically, when you have children, what, what are all of their last names? Ezer. Ezer. Yep. Right. So that's corporate headship. They inherit. So, so Joanna, she married you, she became an Ezer, yep. and then your children, your offspring were all Ezer. So that's yep. corporate headship. Everybody's an Ezer. Yep. So, so what Paul is saying in Romans 5 and 6, and why, this is, why these two chapters are so important, is because everybody is born under what corporate headship? Adam. Exactly. And then the only way you come under, and, and, and the corporate headship of Adam leads to what? Death, because Adam is the natural man, right? Out of the dirt of the ground. But Paul says, Jesus, where'd Jesus come from? Heaven, exactly. He's the heavenly man. So the, and the only way you can have the corporate headship under Jesus is to accept him and to have life. So two corporate heads, Adam and Christ. So my servant shall justify many. But the free gift is not like the trespass, meaning the trespass of Adam and Eve when sin came into the world, okay? The free gift is Jesus coming to where? Earth, dying on Calvary's cross. Yeah. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. In other words, Jesus' grace is more powerful than what? The sin. The yes. Brandon said that goes right back to Hebrews. Thank you, Brandon, for that testimony. All right. 
right. Let's keep going here. Where, what number are we on? Do y'all know? Are we halfway um, through? Just five minutes. So we're on I, I think. Okay. All right. He poured out his soul into death. 5312. Now I've got to go all the way back. Getting excited and going through all this. Okay, 5312. <clears throat> he poured out his soul into death. Romans 325. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So when Jesus died, when his blood spilled out of his body and he died, that blood, because there's no remission of sins without the shedding of, right, that blood propitiated, that substituted, paid for our sins. So when we believe his blood in some supernatural spiritual way that we will never understand that was done in eternity past, that blood is, is, is pay, pays for our sins yeah, for us. Yeah. It's, in, it's incredible. I mean, it's just one of the most amazing mysteries. We will never understand it. It's just, I, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine. Are you all fine with not understanding it? I'm fine with not understanding it. I'm fine with not understanding it. He was numbered with transgressors in 5312. Um, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. Do you remember that? Let's go there for just a second. I know we're taking too long. It's 10 till 7, but, man, this is great stuff. In Matthew 27, didn't, wasn't that in response to, um, di didn't their mother ask, the disciples' mother ask, if they could be on the, his right hand, left hand in the kingdom? Or was that in a different gospel? That's Mark. That's... Uh... Okay, 30, yeah, yeah, that's a different gospel. That's not in this one specifically, but it was, that, that, is, that is related to, the, to this in another gospel. So two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. So he was numbered with transgressors. So when Jesus was crucified, there were two criminals crucified with him on the right and the left. You remember the story about them? One of them reviled him, and then one of them said what? Remember me? Remember me when you come into my kingdom. And he said, today you will be, will be with me in paradise, right? It's one of the scriptures we go to to argue against baptismal regeneration. He bore the sin of many. Thank God Almighty, he did. He bore Amen. everybody's sin, right? 53.12, 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. A cross-reference you might throw in there, uh, if I can find it quickly for you. Uh, Galatians has a, Paul has a really good, let's see, which one is that, uh, Colton, where the curse is two, let's see. Cursed is him that's put on the tree. Oh, uh, two, eight, is I it two eight? Two, eight, two, six. Maybe it's three. I believe it's two. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's uh, chapter three from ten, beginning in verse ten uh, for several verses there. But the law is not a faith; rather, the one who does them shall have faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree." So that's Galatians three, thirteen. Basically, almost mm -hmm. verbatim vocabulary there. Pretty close. Okay? All right. Made intercession for the transgressors. And that also, Brandon Strickland, uh, is a key theme 
of the book of Hebrews. What is the overarching theme of the book of Hebrews? I didn't hear it. The supremacy of Christ. Yes, supremacy of Christ. Yes, Christ is the high priest, exactly. And that's what the high priest does is intercedes. Luke 24, 34, Father, forgive them for what? Can you imagine praying for somebody like that? They're sitting there, you know, plotting your death. And praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can you imagine the love and the forgiveness in Jesus' heart to be able to do that? It's amazing. Literally from the cross, right? Yeah, from the cross, <laughs> looking down at them, yeah, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He certainly yeah. did. Okay, Isaiah in the New Testament, the book of Isaiah is quoted over 66 times. How ironic is that? Is that me? No. <laughs> okay, Dick. <clears throat> Read some of the New Testament passages quoted by Matthew. Matthew 4, uh, 14 and 16 and 8, 17. John the Baptist in 123. Jesus in Luke 4, 16 through 21. We, we've, I mean, we, we've, we've gone through, all through the Bible, a lot of things. Ethiopian, we looked at that. Paul in Acts 28, 25 through 27. Romans 9, 10, 20, uh, 10, 16 and 20 and 15, 12. You can go through there and look at those. We're just about out of time, so we'll, we'll just keep on yeah. going over this. Isaiah has been called the fifth evangelist in his book, the fifth, that's gospel, not gospeo. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Typo. So how much do you remember? You ready? Are you ready? Okay. What does the word prophet mean? Teacher or preacher? What does the book say? I don't remember. Pro uh, beforehand or knows beforehand? Or place of. Speaking of place of. Teacher would, would be, that, you can interpret that as teacher for sure. See. Okay, so one who speaks in place of another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Y'all all hear that? Prophet, one who speaks in place of another. So who are we, who both nine, Clayton, whenever we're who are we speaking in place of? Yes. It's like hard for us to believe, but that's exactly what we're doing. Absolutely. What is the central message of Isaiah? Colton, what is it? I'm looking for it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many themes that I feel. Well, Phil. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. Yeah, that's good. There it is. That's good. That'll work. All right, the two great sections of Isaiah. And if you don't get this, we're going to go home early. What are the two big sections of Isaiah? Okay. And four through. Awesome. Judgment and hope, right? Did you say 67? Jim said 67. <laughs> he did it on purpose. He's fired. Yeah. <laughs> How does the book parallel? Just, we just talked about that. I'm not going to shut it down. Okay. Uh, we got. Uh, got five minutes. Yeah, we, we got about. Or a little we, longer. We could, we could go 10 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do the video. That's right. Can I close this now, Nathan? Oh. Oh. Before we do, can I just say... May I, Nathan? (laughs) Man. I had to inflict some church discipline on this this crowd. There it is. Um, I just, I wanted to say, too, before we... Because the theme question, the reason I I got discombobulated was because... Um, I just love, as I was reading through 40, especially 40 through 66, how God really, um, and, and when you look at chapters 40 through 49, you see a God who I, I would almost even say is flexing his muscles. 
And, and what I mean by that is he's showing his power and his sovereignty and his providence and his, and his control. You saw over and over again how he said, I am God and there is no other. Do you remember reading that? Over and over and over again, he would say, I am God and there is no other. And what else would he do? He would compare himself to the idols yeah. of the people, right? And he would show how supreme and how sovereign he is over these feeble, weak idols. Do you remember, I believe it was in chapter 48, how he's talking about how this man will take a, uh, a piece of cedar, a cedar tree, and he'll cut it down. Right. Yep, that's right. And he's like, so this, this tree that he's burning for, to stay warm and that he's using to burn to cook his meat, he's also going to say, well, this same tree is going to deliver me. It's going to save me, you know? And, and I also love, and I believe it may be in 48 as well, when God is, or maybe it's 49, but he says that um, you, you, you hope, he's comparing himself to these idols and, and he says, you have to bear these idols. You, these idols don't bear you up. And, and uplift you and hold you. You have to bear them on your back, but I can bear you. I, and, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, I'm the one that can come along under you and bear you and uphold you. Why would you not turn to me? And, and this is the incredible thing. And, and the last thing I'll leave you with before we get to the video is the, the man in 48, why, was, why were idols these wooden stumps? It seems so obvious to us. But why did they always get stumped up on idols? Israel, always. It was always idolatry that really stumped them up at the end of the day. Even Solomon, his wives, which he pursued and stumped him up, led him to idolatry, to worship these false gods. Yeah. Why did they? Well, the man in 48 gives you the reason. Deliver me. Deliver me. And I wonder today what... Because I think Calvin was right when he said our, our hearts are idol factories. Mm -hmm. we, we create idols constantly in our hearts, things to worship, things to run after. And I wonder for us today, what is it, just as an application point, what do we run after to deliver us? Uh, what are we looking for deliverance from? Uh, is it, the, uh, is it uh, hard work? Uh, we, we hate and we, we don't want to be called upon for responsible hard work, and so we run from it to, uh, to comfort, to anything that would promise us an easy life and a comfortable life. Um, maybe it's our hard work to escape something at home, you know, and so we're constantly calling out to these idols, deliver me, when we have a God that we can call out to and cry to. Um, and I just, I, I think it's so neat how that applies to, it, it, idols haven't ended, you know, we, we do, we have idolatrous hearts that we constantly have to keep watch on. I, I think it's neat. We, we don't, it's not the question, um, are we going to worship? It's the question of what are we going to worship? Because we're constantly, God made our hearts to worship. Yep. Um, and we will worship something. That's and right. so uh, that's why I love Isaiah. So anyway, boom. Great. We're just not going to get through. There we go. The book of the prophet Isaiah. In the first video, we explored chapters 1 to 39, which was Isaiah's message of judgment and hope for Jerusalem. He accused Israel's leaders of rebellion against God and said that through Assyria and then Babylon, Israel's kingdom would come crashing down in an act of God's judgment. And so chapter 39 concluded with Isaiah predicting Jerusalem's fall to Babylon in the exile. And a hundred years after Isaiah, it all sadly came to pass. 
But Isaiah's greater hope was for a new purified Jerusalem where God's kingdom would be restored through the future messianic king. And all nations would come together in peace. And so chapters 40 and following explore this great hope. The first main section, chapters 40 to 48, open with an announcement of hope and comfort for Israel. The people are told that the Babylonian exile is over and that Israel's sin has been dealt with, a new era is beginning. So they should all return home to Jerusalem where God himself will bring his kingdom and all nations will see his glory. Now, let's stop for a moment because this opening announcement raises a big question. That is, who is saying all of this? Whose voice are we hearing in these words of hope? The perspective of the prophet in these chapters is that of somebody who's living after the exile, in other words, in the time period described by Ezra and Nehemiah. But Isaiah died 150 years before any of that. So what are we supposed to make of this? Well, there are many who think that it's still Isaiah in his own day speaking, but <coughs> that he's been prophetically transported, so to speak, 200 years into the future, and that he's speaking to future generations as if the exile is past. However, the book of Isaiah itself gives us some clues that something else is probably going on. In chapters 8 and 29 and 30, we're told that after Isaiah was rejected by Israel's leaders, that he wrote and sealed up in a scroll all of his messages of judgment and hope, and that he passed it on to his disciples as a witness for days to come. Eventually, Isaiah died, waiting for God to vindicate his words. Now remember, chapters 1 to 39 were designed to show us that Isaiah's predictions of judgment were fulfilled in the exile. He's a true prophet. And so after exile is over, Isaiah's disciples, who have treasured his words for so long, open up the scroll and begin applying his words of hope to their own day. So on this view, the book of Isaiah consists of that first collection of Isaiah's words, as well as the writings of his prophetic disciples that God uses to extend Isaiah's message of hope to future generations. Whichever view you end up taking, everybody agrees that these chapters are announcing that the future hope has come, that God is fulfilling Isaiah's prophetic promises. And so the prophet hopes that Israel will respond by becoming God's servant. That is, after experiencing God's justice and mercy through history, that they will now begin to share with the nations who God truly is. But that's not what's happening. Israel, instead of bearing witness to the nations, is actually complaining and even accusing God. They say, the Lord doesn't pay attention to our trouble. In fact, he's ignoring our cause. The Babylonian exile, understandably, caused Israel to lose faith in their God. I mean, maybe he's not that powerful. Maybe the gods of Babylon are way greater than our God. And so the rest of these chapters, 41 to 47, are set up like a trial scene. God is responding to these doubts and accusations with the following arguments. He says first that the exile to Babylon was not divine neglect. Rather, it was divinely orchestrated as a judgment for Israel's sin. And second, it was for Israel's sake that God raised up Persia to conquer Babylon so they could come back home fulfilling Isaiah's words. So the right conclusion that Israel should draw is that their God is the king of history, not the idols of the nations. In the fall of Babylon and the rise of the Persian king Cyrus, Israel should see God's hand at work and so become his servant, telling the nations who he is. But by the end of the trial, chapter 48, we find that Israel is still as rebellious and hard-hearted as their ancestors. And so God disqualifies them as his servant, but God still is on a mission to bless the nations. And so the prophet says God's going to do a new thing to solve this problem. 
which moves into the next section, 49 to 55. We're introduced to a figure who's called God's servant, who's going to fulfill God's mission and do what Israel has failed to do. God gives this servant the title Israel and sends this person on a mission to, first of all, restore the people of Israel back to their God, but second, to become God's light to the nations. And we're told that this servant is empowered by God's spirit to announce good news and to bring God's kingdom over all of the nations. It sounds just like the Messianic king from chapters 9 and 11. But then we learn the surprising way of how the servant will bring God's kingdom. He's going to be rejected and beaten and ultimately killed by his own people. In reality, as he's being accused and sentenced to death, he's dying on behalf of the sin of his own people. The prophet says the servant's death is a sacrifice of atonement for the people's evil and rebellion. And then, after his death, all of a sudden, the servant is just alive again. And we hear that by his death, he provided a way to make people righteous. That is, to put them in a right relationship with God. And so this section concludes by describing two ways people can respond to the servant. Some will respond with humility and turn from their sins and accept what God's servant did on their behalf. These people are called the servants and also the seed. Remember the holy seed from chapter 6. These are the ones who will experience the blessing of the messianic kingdom. But there are others who are called simply the wicked, and they reject both the servant and his servants, which brings us to the final section of the book, 56 to 66, where the servants inherit God's kingdom. These chapters are beautifully designed as a symmetry that brings together all of the themes of the book. At the very center are three beautiful poems that describe how the spirit-empowered servant is announcing the good news of God's kingdom to the poor, and he reaffirms all of the promises of hope from earlier in the book. The new Jerusalem, inhabited by God's servants, will be the place from which God's justice and mercy and blessing flow out to all the nations of the world. And surrounding these poems are two long prayers of repentance, where the servants confess Israel's sin, and they grieve over all of the evil they see in the world around them. And so they ask God to forgive them, and that his kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, on each side of these prayers are collections of more poems that contrast the destiny of the servants with that of the wicked who persecute them. God says he's going to bring his justice on all who pollute his good world with their evil and selfishness and idolatry, and that he's going to remove them from his city forever. But the servants, those who are humble before God and who repent and own their evil, they are forgiven, and they will inherit the new Jerusalem, which, we discover, is an image for an entirely renewed creation, where death and suffering are gone forever. And this brings us to the very outer frame of this part of the book. In this renewed world of God's kingdom, people from all nations are invited to come and join the servants of God's covenant family so that everyone can know their creator and redeemer. And so the book of Isaiah ends with the very grand vision of the fulfillment of all of God's covenant promises. Through the suffering servant king, God creates a covenant family of all nations who are awaiting the hope of God's justice in bringing a renewed creation where God's kingdom finally comes here on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the very powerful hope of the book of Isaiah. How was that? It's it a great summary. It's awesome. Yeah. All right, prayer requests. We are out of time. Prayer requests, anybody? Yes. Just, you know, 
there, and, uh, but she still hasn't been able to get in it. I just pray that she'll get strength back and be able to get in that wheelchair. Okay. Just uh, yeah. they are keeping her drug up. Do you? Yes. Okay. She can't even hold the phone. Bless her heart. Uh, the Winchesters just made some comments about Priscilla West and just her struggles and, and all that. We just need to continue to lift her up and pray for her. Uh, that she's just, it's just not, not, not doing well. So, yeah. uh, also got a note today, Marsha Clark uh, had to go back to the hospital, I think, Monday. Still having problems. We need to remember her in prayer. Did you, did you get any requests today? I, no. Okay. No. All right. Any, anybody else? Okay. Why don't you uh, close us, brother? Yep. Let's pray. All right. Lord, we thank you for uh, these evenings where we get to come together on Wednesday nights and we get to bless your holy name. Um, God, I, I love every moment that we just get to uh, reflect on your beautiful word that you have given to us. You didn't have to reveal yourself, and yet you did. And uh, I know that when I read my Bible, when I read the word that you have spoken to us, your revelation, God, that... Any time that it's difficult to understand and difficult for me to wrestle with and grasp, that's a good thing, first off, and I thank you, Lord, that you, you give us that. But, Lord, I also know that, that I'm still learning to grasp its glorious truths for all it's worth, God. And, and I know that the problem is with me, and you're continuing to sanctify me. You're continuing to sanctify us. And so, God, I pray that we would be encouraged. That if we didn't understand the whole book, well, it's still there. We can still read it and we can still depend on your Holy Spirit to help us grow uh, in, in these great books of the Bible. Your word to us, oh God, the God-breathed word, uh, your revelation to us, Lord, we thank you for it. God, I do pray that you would help us to, to wrestle with and to fight this urge and this desire in our hearts to make our own idols and to craft our own idols that, that reflect our own desires, oh God, and that we think will give us what we want, when all the while, Lord, what we need is you. We need more of you every single hour of every single day, and so God, I pray that you would help us to repent over and, and to ask forgiveness for and to be washed clean and to come before you humbly, as we just heard in this video, God, in this Bible Project video, and through your word that we would be humble servants of you, Christ and that we would come seeking forgiveness and, and cleansing, uh, that we might follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to save sinners. Lord, without you, we would have no hope, and we would be lost in this world, and we would have no way of getting back to you, Father. And I thank you that you sent, you sent your Son to save us in our most desperate situation. And not only that, Jesus was in the cross to one of our sins. In our place, you died for our punishment, and I thank you for it, Lord. And God, I just pray that all of those, even those who are sick and who are, who are feeble right now, I think about Priscilla, I think about Marsha, who both have had ongoing uh, health issues, God, I pray that they would take encouragement in the fact of what you did for them, what you have done for us, O oh Lord, by redeeming us through your death on the cross and your resurrection, Lord. We love you, and I pray that we would cherish your word all the more, God, that we would continue to apply ourselves to study it. And that we would go out of, outside of this place ready to glorify you and to shine your light, Lord, in Smyrna and across the world. Lord, help us to do it. And then help us to come back here on Sunday ready to worship again. It's in your heavenly name I pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Good night, live feed people. Love you. Good night. See you again soon. Good night, everybody. Thank you all for your attention. Next week.